Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Clay Scroggins and was recorded on Sunday, February 5th, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at @faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called Faith Bridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Clay. So my name is Michael Sosley. I've been attending Faith Bridge. Actually, I started attending a men's group before I actually started attending regular services. My friend Tom Borg from work invited me to the men's group and it was just totally awesome. Well, guys, of course, they're gonna talk about Sunday service and the great messages. So I was doing everything online, you know, of course, with the pandemic, you know, we're doing everything online. So I started checking out FaithBridge online, watching the worship service and watching the message, which was so totally awesome. And then when the guys would talk about it at, you know, the men's group, then yeah, I I heard the sermon too. Shortly after I joined the men's group and, and I'm watching FaithBridge online, and you're really starting to connect with FaithBridge. My father got a diagnosis of bladder cancer. So um, when we got the diagnosis in the hospital, and I called Sean, and I'm like, hey, Sean, you know, I'm not gonna be able to go Thursday to men's group, I'm sorry. And, and, and I hate missing men's group. Um, and Sean's like, we'll do Zoom. I can Zoom you in, it's not a problem at all. Um, I would sit in the hospital room, and I'd have men's group. Um, getting the men's group in, my father was able to overhear it and kind of not directly participate, but he was getting the message. And, and bless Sean's heart, um, he and the rest of the men's group went through that process with me. Just over the course of that maybe two month period, the cancer had gone from his bladder and into other parts of his body. All the medical, all the prayers, all everything, nothing seemed to be working. Um, and you know, I was losing him. And, at, and I, I, not that I'm worthy of judging anybody, I'm not, but at that point, I wasn't very comfortable um, with him, the account that he was gonna give to God. Um, and, and he felt that God had abandoned him and he's doing his own thing, you know, he abandoned God. Um, but growing up, um, my sister and I, we were always praying for him because it was obvious he wasn't walking with the Lord. Not, not that I can judge if somebody's saved or not, but I just, I, you know, we needed more time and we were running out of time. I prayed on it and I decided I'm gonna bring him home. And so we got the hospice bed, we got the wheelchair. Even like when we're in the hospital and I've got men's group coming in and then when I brought him home um, for hospice, I'm, I've got church here. I've got the hospice pastor, Daniel, who was awesome, came in and you know we're saying prayers. I wanted to shake him, wake up, wake up, wake up. But the Lord told me not to do that, can't thump a Bible. And so I'm being patient and peaceful. I'm still doing my thing. I'm still reading the Bible, still watching online. And then about a week before he passed, he, he was laying in the bed quiet. We hadn't probably said two words in the last three hours. And he just comes out and confesses and, and, and acknowledges God's sovereignty. And it was just 
his soul reaching out to God at that point. That's when the lights came on for me. And I could see, wow, so the Lord, the Lord was working when I was reading the Bible. The Lord was working when Sean was piping in the men's group for me. The Lord was working with the, the hospital pastor. And the Lord was working bringing Faith Bridge online into the house. The Lord was working in so many different ways. And then it was like everything came together. It's like different areas of light that all came through the same lens and made this brilliant, beautiful beam that, that just went to heaven. You know, I don't have good words to describe it, I'm sorry. This was the Holy Spirit of God. And he, he worked through Faith Bridge. Thank you, Faith Bridge, for everything you do. He worked through the Bible. He worked through the hospital people. He worked through so many different people to reach out to this one individual. Um, the Lord truly goes after the one. Um, like that very next weekend after my father passed away, that's the first day I went in, actually on campus, into Faith Ridge Church. And so, you know, I went a few services, checked it out. Um, we were talking about like different volunteer type opportunities. I said, well, I can run a camera. I said, well, let's get you um, into production. We'll introduce you around, you know, see if there's a spot there. But they put me on the schedule for Sunday morning and they put me on camera two to start out with. Loved it to go from, man, I, I hope my father wakes up in the Lord to, yeah, Michael, you can help us do this for other people. And I'm like, yeah, how can I not, you know? Wow. Michael is uh, Michael serving today in the back. Uh, Michael, thanks for your story. Thanks for your vulnerability. Um, anybody feel like there's a lot of allergies right now while you're watching that? No, I mean, what, what a stunning story. And I, um, I'm so grateful they sent me that ahead of time because I just cried and cried while I was watching it. And I just thought, gosh, I would be in no frame of mind to be able to preach a sermon after that. But it's such an emotional story because it's the story of the way the church really should work, right? And, and that's what you all have been experiencing here, whether you realize it or not. Uh, my name's Clay, by the way. I live in Atlanta and get to drop in every month or so, and it's just an absolute blessing to get to be here. And I hope you know what a fantastic church this is. If you're brand new here and you're just trying to, maybe you're checking things out, maybe you aren't sure where you are in regard to your faith, this is a, this is a remarkable church because this is filled with very real people who just like Michael and just like Michael's dad have realized that there is a hope that transcends even some of the most difficult situations in life. And if you were here last week to hear Pastor Ken's message about healing prayer, uh, it was just such a fantastic reminder that we shouldn't obsess over healing, but we also shouldn't deny healing, that it has a very real place. And it was very sobering to see the number of people who said, hey, I've got something that I need healing prayer for. And if that was you, I just want to say way to go for having that kind of confidence and cor courageousness to be able to step out in a moment like that. And we're, um, God's not done. God is still at work. And that's what we've been looking at through the study of the book of Acts, that God is still on the move 
Acts is probably my favorite book in all of the Bible because it tells the story of how the church started. And we're dropping, picking up right where we were in Acts, at the end of Acts 2, where the, um, the, the author of Acts, Luke, a doctor, a researcher, is trying to explain to us, hey, here's how you know. When someone has put their faith in Jesus and become a convert, there's all these converts. Over and over again, that phrase is, and God, the Lord added to their number daily. They were growing. And Luke was trying to put words around, how do we explain? What, what, are, the, what are the manifestations? What are the, the, what, how does it look when somebody puts their faith in Jesus? Or in other words, what are the marks of Christian conversion? What are the marks of Christian conversion? I grew up in a home where I have wonderful parents who believe in Jesus. I've got an older sister and a younger sister who are both Jesus followers. And so, you know, in a sense, I was really born into it. To, to not follow Jesus would have been contrary to everything that our family stood for. So when I was seven years old and I put my faith in Jesus at that moment in time, uh, it was, it felt very real. It felt like a real moment for me. In high school, there were a couple of real significant moments where I felt like my faith became my own, where I decided I am genuinely gonna follow Jesus or at least attempt to follow Jesus with everything that I have. I graduated from college, moved to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary, and I decided I'm gonna be a professional Christian. I'm gonna do this as a vocation. And so even still, doing that for 18 years in the Atlanta area, about 18 months ago, I resigned and was getting so many opportunities to go talk about leadership with organizations and corporations and still getting to preach at churches. I just thought, hey, I, I should be able to do this. I should be able to show off the marks of Christian conversion until stuff happens like it happened yesterday at the car wash right around the corner from where we live. I, I don't know what the weather was like here, but in Atlanta, it was sunny. It was the first day it had been sunny for a while. And uh, my wife had been asking me for the last week or so if I would take her minivan to go get it washed. And uh, any, any of you uh, moms, dads, you drive a van and you know what it's like to have these cretins that live in this van. I mean, I feel like whenever they eat snacks, I tell them, hey, when you eat your Cheez-Its, please do not crumble them up and sprinkle them around the car, which is what it feels like. They're doing. They eat like beavers. Just food going everywhere. I mean, it's a disaster in there. I wish that, I, that, that what, instead of a car wash, what I wish they had was a machine that would pick the thing up, turn it upside down, and just shake it out. That's what they needed to do to get this thing clean. And so yesterday, I'm very excited about it. I'm like, this is a big day. I got our kids in tow. Um, some would call that indentured servants, but I was going to involve them in cleaning this. You made the mess. You're going to help clean the mess. And I, uh, there were so many people at the car. I was not the only one with this idea. Evidently, there were a lot of other people with this idea as well, because there was not only a line to get into the car wash, but once you went through the car wash, this is one of those bougie car washes where after you use the car wash, you get access to all the vacuums and the washcloths and the sprays, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'd kind of inch my way up in line where I was next. And so I had my, I mean, Hawkeye, like I was looking at all the different spots. And as soon as somebody pulled out, I was going to whip right in there and get this thing all fresh and all clean. And just as this car is backing out to leave, I'm getting ready to pull in. A car comes in from off the road. They hadn't even been through the car wash. And they swoop in to the vacuums. And I immediately thought, this is what is wrong with America. This is an injustice. 
This person hasn't even paid the $10 to use the car wash, and they're going to use these vacuums for free. And so I just instinctively thought, I'm going to say something about this. See something, say something. That's one of the rules that I live by. And so I slowly roll the window down, and as this gentleman's getting out of his car, I say, excuse me, sir, because even in the middle of anger, I'm still a courteous citizen. I said, excuse me, sir, I was next in line. And as I'm saying that, he continues to get out of this car. I could not believe how long it took this man to get out of his car, but it was because he was such a large man. I think his nickname in high school had to have been Goliath because this guy was massive. And as soon as I see him in all of his size and strength, My kids made fun of me the rest of the day because I just immediately started rolling the window back up. I shrunk as low as I could shrink because I thought, I am not about to get into a UFC-style fight right here at this car wash, particularly with that gentleman. Right, I immediately saw the headline, father of five dies at car wash because someone stole his spot. I just thought, that's not the way I want to go out in this life, and that was definitely what was going to happen. But the rest of the day, I was just thinking about my own sinfulness, my own arrogance, my own pride, my own anger, going, what is it in me that still struggles to show off, to display the marks of Christian conversion? I I knew that I was preaching this message today, and I just thought, this is very ironic, that as I'm preaching on what are the marks, I myself can't even display them even at the car wash. But the good news about today The marks of Christian conversion really don't have anything to do with you being perfect. And it really doesn't have anything to do with having perfect church attendance. No, it's it's actually experiencing something that's so much better than that. And and this is ultimately what the church is. Today we're going to see an explanation of the church a description of what does a Christian convert look like and what can they experience in the church. And what we're going to see is that the church is made up of ordinary people engaging in activities, acts, that lead to extraordinary results, extraordinary experiences. Very ordinary people doing very important but somewhat ordinary things and experiencing Something that's extraordinary. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn there. We're going to be in Acts 2, verse 42. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one either as a gift or if you would like one to just hold today, just hold your hand up in the air and wave it around like you do care. And one of these lovely volunteers will hand you one. Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. This is the way it reads. They devoted themselves, they being the men and women who had recently put their faith in Jesus, these recent converts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is not the Old Testament. This is not the the Torah. This is not Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This is not what they would have memorized as Jewish men and women as children. No, these are Jews and Gentiles alike from all walks of life, from all different ethnicities, all different tongues as we read in Acts 2 in what was known as the day of Pentecost. But they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, meaning these are the new, these are what would become the New Testament. This is the new, the new law that we now have because of Jesus. They devoted themselves to this teaching and to fellowship, the Greek word koinonia. It's not just hanging out with each other, enjoying each other. No, this is deep connection, as we're gonna see. This is deep sharing. 
This is very meaningful in relationships. The apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, not just any breaking of bread, but the breaking of bread. As we're going to see in just a little bit, they engaged in this fellowship everywhere. They engaged in this fellowship in the town square, throughout the city as they lived and as they worked, in their homes as they were enjoying each other, hanging out with each other, being with each other, and also at meals together. But this, what there is being referred to here is, notice the word the, the breaking of bread, meaning this is specific. What we now look back on and see is referring to the Lord's Supper or to communion. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were praying for each other. They were caring for each other. They were lifting up the needs of each other to the only one they knew that could do anything about it. Ordinary, very ordinary, ordinary activities, but it led to something extraordinary. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, we learn in verse 43. Look at what it says, that everyone was filled with awe. They couldn't believe it at the many wonders and the signs that were performed by the apostles. So they're, they're doing these ordinary things, engaging together, studying the scriptures, fellowshipping with each other, taking communion together, praying for each other, but they were experiencing something extraordinary. Next verse. And all the believers, this is very important, all the believers were together. If you're holding a Bible and you got a pen handy, you should underline that, were together. Because he's not just referring to the fact that they were in proximity near each other. He's not just referring to the fact that they are in the same room together, in the same location together. No, this is deeper than that. That their hearts were connected, their souls were connected, their spirits were connected, their, their needs were connected to each other. There was giving and sharing and helping and caring and they were doing all of the things that all of us long for. They were, they were experiencing what we all long for in this life is to be deeply connected to a group of people where we feel like we belong, where we feel like we've got a spot there, where we feel like these people not only, of course, yeah, they know our name, but way more than that, there's a sense of vulnerability and sharing and, and, and trust with these people that they were together. This is what is most extraordinary more than the signs and more than the wonders, that this is the mark of a recent Christian convert is they experience this oneness, the same oneness that Jesus prayed for in John 17, that they experience this oneness with each other. And I, I just choose to believe in, in the day and age that we live that this is deeply needed and our world is not necessarily set up for this, right? We all have neighborhoods and subdivisions and gates and locks and garage doors and most of life is spent trying to stay away from people, not engaging with people. But my hope is that as we study this passage today, that God would change something, loosen something, challenge us with something that allow, would allow us to take a step deeper to experience what, what they were experiencing, that they were, they, they were together. There was a togetherness, and they had everything 
in common. Not, not meaning they had everything in common, like they all liked the same things and listened to the same music and cheered for the same teams, not, voted the same way politically. No, 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 no. What was mine was yours, and what was yours was mine, and if you had a need, I'm going to do everything I can do to meet your need. How do I know that? Well, because that's what Luke tells us next, that they sold property. They sold property, and they sold possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Now, it's one thing to give to someone because you can and because you have margin. It's another thing to, to do it sacrificially, right? to give sacrificially. They sold property and sold possessions because somebody had a need. Somebody had something going on and they knew, hey, we gotta figure this out. We gotta help this person out. We gotta sell something, get rid of something, do something different because that's the kind of relationship that we've been called to have. I'm telling you, this is, um, it's otherworldly. Some of you maybe had a season of life where you experienced it. Some of you maybe at FaithBridge even and your grow group or on your serving team, maybe you're experiencing this, but I mean, th- th- this is holding high this value of what the church really could look like. Every day, Luke tells us, every day they continued to meet together. They met together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I love the way he continues this too, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then there it is again. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That not only did the Lord add to their number when Peter preached this phenomenal sermon at the day of Pentecost, but when other people from the outside looking in, this wasn't this exclusive thing. No, this was the, yes, this is what we're experiencing. And it's so compelling that people were going, uh, excuse me, can can I experience? Yeah, come on in. You can too. See, this is different than what maybe some of you have thought about the church in the past, that it was this exclusive club that you had to be invited into or that you had to know the secret code or you had to have a certain level of knowledge or a certain level of wealth or a certain level of righteousness. Not, not according to what was happening in the first century. No, in the first century, they were engaging in very ordinary activities, but they were experiencing something that was surreal. It was otherworldly, and everybody was welcome. Everybody was invited. Anybody could show up. Those who had it together and those who didn't, those who were wealthy and those who weren't, those who came from the right family and those who didn't. And God used all of that remarkably. And I just want to say, as we look at this passage, sometimes we look at this passage as, is this a prescription for the way church should be? Is this what the New Testament is prescribing to us that church should be? I I don't know the answer to that. It seems like Luke was saying this was a description of what the first church was experiencing. That this is the ideal that this was the hope. But I, I want to try to just give you, I'm going to give you four simple ideas. They're each going to start with G because as a pastor, I signed a covenant years ago that I would alliterate whenever possible. And so these all start with G. I, I'm hoping you'd be able to memorize them, think about them, write them down, maybe think about what would this mean for you in your own life. But 
This was the good that they got out of this. This was the joy that they had because they were a part of it. This was the benefit. See, sometimes we all feel guilted into being a part of church. Some of you, maybe you're here today because you felt, you know, some guilt from your past. I love the fact that at FaithBridge that I've been here probably 10, 15 times. I've never heard anyone guilt someone into trying to get them to come to church. No, we, we don't need to feel guilted to be here. Because we all know that guilt, guilt's a great short-term motivator, right? You might go to the gym for a little bit because you feel guilty. You might change the way you eat for a little bit because you feel guilty. You might change your financial habits because you feel guilty, change your work habits because you feel guilty. But sustained long-term change, it doesn't happen when we're motivated by guilt. No, we, 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 when we change best, we change because we want to, right? Because we can't not, because we realize it's what's best. And I wanted to give you that here's some of the joy, some of the benefits, some of the what you might really experience if you decided to live in this kind of way in hopes that maybe it would allow us to change some things, to begin to on a more consistent basis, not because we're, we feel guilty, but because we are choosing to, because we want to. In, in the same way that you can't get a baby to stop crying by saying, stop, stop crying, Right? Well, I mean, why does a baby cry? A baby cries because it's responding to life. It's evidence of life. I mean, one of the first things you want when a baby is delivered is you're waiting for that cry because it's a sign of life. And what we experience, the joy, the benefit that we experience in Christian community, both it's a mark of our conversion, but it's also just what happens when we respond to life the life that Jesus has given us. Here's the first one. The first one is growth. We experience growth. Yeah, just real quick. How many of you want to grow today? Anybody want to grow? There's some of you that are like, not me, man. I am good to go the way that I am. I don't want to change a thing. I like it like I got it. Can't teach an old dog new tricks and I am good right where I am, right? No, there aren't many people like that in the world. But most people, most people want to grow. I would imagine for a lot of you, you're here today because you want to grow, right? I mean, just think about it this way. If you knew, if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was information orbiting your world that would make you better, would you want it? Sure. And one of the best ways that we're able to see things about ourselves that need to change, one of the best ways that we're able to experience the, the motivation to grow is through other people. How do I know that? Well, because when I said, if there was information orbiting your world that if you knew it, would you want it, you immediately thought about the information that's orbiting the people's world around you. You immediately thought about the things that your kids need to change and the thing that your spouse needs to change and the thing that your person down the road needs to change and the person in your grow group that needs to change. We immediately think about all the other stuff that other people can change. And it's when we come in contact, in close proximity with other people that we change, that we grow. As iron sharpens iron, that's how we grow. If you've got somebody in your life that you're annoyed with right now, if you've got somebody in your life that's irritating you right now, you know what God is probably trying to do? 
He's trying to use that person to point out something in you that might need to grow. And, and I know what it's like. I mean, every small group, every grow group has got people in the, grow, in the group that are the extra grace required kind of people, right? The people that just take up everybody's time, talk a little bit too much, share a little bit too often, don't show up all the time. And we get irritated, we get annoyed. And some of you are like, not my group, we don't have that person. Uh-oh, it's probably you if that's the case, right? Because every group has got them. But I'm just telling you, the way we grow is by learning to love those kinds of people because it makes us get over ourselves, and it makes us recognize that there's things in me that need to change and my pride's being hit and I'm the one that thinks I should talk and I'm the one that thinks I ought to have the story that's always dramatic. Whatever it is, it's how God helps us to grow. And it's a good thing. We wouldn't grow any other way. Not, not only do we experience growth, but we experience massive generosity, right? And this is one of the benefits of being connected to Christian communities. We get this opportunity to be generous. Look at what they did. I mean, they were just constantly helping other people out. Do you know what generosity does to our soul? It gives us life. You see, we're in this world that's trying to lie to us saying, no, 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 the way you get life is through consumption, is by consuming more, collecting more, holding on to more. But Jesus himself said, whoa, 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 be careful. If you try to gain the whole world, eventually you will lose it. But if you lose your life on my behalf, you'll gain it. Jim Elliott famous missionary came along and he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You want to experience true life? Get around a group of people that are choosing to be generous on behalf of other people. That is how we find life. To paraphrase it, it's as if Jesus is saying, you want to find life? Give your life away. Those of you that are a part of a service team, those of you that are serving on a team here, you know what that's like. It's one thing to go to church and experience it and consume it. It's another thing to be a part of a church where you engaged and you're giving your life away. There's no greater joy. It is the greatest joy of Christian community is to give your life away. We experience growth. We experience generosity. We experience grace. This is how we experience grace. We, we are both the recipient of it, right? Have you ever been in a group of people? Have you ever had a group of brothers, a group of sisters, a group of friends that you were really honest with, like the deep, dark parts of your soul where you shared the, I can't believe I'm gonna say this, but this is what I'm struggling with. And they look at you in love and in kindness and say, we're not going anywhere. We still love you. Now, we want to help you change and we want to help you get better and we want to help you grow. But we're going to extend grace because we love you, because we care for you. And part of the way we experience grace is because we learn how to deal with other people that are not like us. I'm telling you, this was a community filled with all kinds of ethnicities, people that spoke different language from different parts of the world. They had the rich, they had the poor, they had politically from all the ends of the spectrum. 
And when you get in a group of people where you're around people that are not like you and you become brothers, you become sisters, you engage in community with them, you experience grace. You learn how to extend grace. And finally, we, not only do we experience growth, we experience generosity, we experience grace, but we experience grief as well. One of the most intimidating things that I remember when I was uh, in my 20s and trying to learn how to be a pastor, felt like I was pastoring with training wheels on, you know? I remember the first couple times I went to a, ho- a hotel, not a hotel, a hospital to pray for someone who was sick. And it was always so awkward for me because I was like, I don't know these people. They don't know them. They're in a hospital gown. They don't want the pastor coming to be like, hey, what's up? How's it been going? You want to play some Connect Four and then I'll pray for you? Like what? That's not, nobody wants that, right? But what was always so encouraging to me is whenever I would show up and their group was there. I would show up and there would be people already there going, hey, we're so glad you're here, but we are loving on this person. We already got the meal train going. We've already been praying for her. We've already been praying for him. We are here with them. It's the way life works best. And it's what you can only experience in community. I'm telling you, uh, if you want to grow, if you want to experience life-giving generosity, if you want to experience grace like none other, if you want to experience people walking with you in grief, this is the church, people. This is it. This is how God does it. His plan A is through this community of people. And so we're going to experience just what they experienced. In the same way that they got together and that they would experience the breaking of the bread, we're going to experience the same thing as we do. When we come to the table, what we're experiencing is we're saying, ultimately, if we're going to grow, God, it's because of you. It's your spirit that's going to empower us. God, ultimately, the only way we could be generous is by recognizing you have been generous to us. Your death on the cross was the most generous, extravagant, we don't deserve it kind of thing that anyone could have done. The way we extend grace is by recognizing you have been so gracious to us. And when we come to the table and experience the body of Christ broken for us, we're experiencing a father in heaven who says, I am walking with you through whatever you are going through. I'm right there with you. And so what I want to invite you to do is, I want to invite you as our ushers are going to come and cue you up to do it, but we're going to experience this and we're going to take a gluten-free cracker and dip it into the juice. And for those of you that are Jesus followers, this is for you. If, If you're not a Jesus follower, let me give you a couple options. Number one, you can become one today. You can put your faith in Jesus today and come to the table. But if you're not a Jesus follower, I would encourage you to wait until you are to experience this because It's just more meaningful when you can say, this is what I believe, that this is Jesus' body broken for me. This is his blood poured out for me. And so, Father in heaven, I just want to tell you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for allowing us the gift of experiencing Christian community. That when we can link our lives up with other people, when we can be a part of a group of people like this, it's so much greater than anything we can imagine in life. 
And so we thank you for allowing us to grow. We thank you for being the most generous, for being the most gracious, and for grieving, for walking with us. We celebrate you. We honor you. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray all of this in his name.